Anima. 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 Yeah, that's all you get from me because I'm off again this week. But Evan has promised he's had less fireball. Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Owls AmeriCast. I am your fill-in host, Evan Skilleter, who is kind of becoming your regular host, if you will, as Jeff has decided he will take a break whenever he fancies. <laughs> I'm joined by two expats, the first, Patrick and Secaucus Patty. What are you drinking? Good evening, mate. How are you doing? I am drinking a Blue Point Optical Illusion. It is very nice. Very, very nice. And also in New York City in a different borough. Actually, Secaucus isn't a borough, but near Secaucus in New York City in Manhattan. It's the Manhattan Owl, James Allen. James, welcome to the podcast. What are you drinking? Evening, Evan. Um, yeah, your, uh, your, your knowledge of the five boroughs is not that great because uh, any New Yorker will tell you that New Jersey ain't New York. That. Um, Hey, we, we we don't want to say that to New York owls over there in Secaucus, do we? Um, what am I drinking? I'm uh, I'm drinking something called the Shape of Hops to Come, which is uh, a beer I picked up on the road in Pennsylvania this weekend from uh, well, it's from the Croydon Brewing Company, which is a bit ironic if anyone knows where Croydon is in South London. I don't think there's any connection. Um, it's uh, it's a hop forward Imperial IPA at uh, 8.5%, which is crammed in something like about five different hops. It's got Apollo Newport. Simcoe, Topaz, and Citra, um, and it's it's described as a hot bomb of an IPA, and uh, it's pretty pretty fair actually, considering how hot it is outside. I'm uh, I'm burning up with uh, with my inside, so it's uh, it's very pleasant. And I am your Ohio Al drinking an Elliot Ness Amber Lager. Uh, we've talked about this plenty of times. I seem to always have one in the fridge. I think I always just when I go look, there always happens to be. And Elliot Ness Lager. So we have a whole host of things to talk about today. The World Cup was a month ago, which means it's time for an international break. It's been too long since international football. We have one game to review, a triumph in what I pronounce as Berkshire. James has told me that's not exactly how it's said, but I'll stick to what I like. Um, it's called Reading, also known as Reading if you are from Ohio. So a lot of, a lot of stuff to talk about in that game. Three wins and three tries, nine points in the rear view mirror, which is huge for us coming off of kind of a dismal start to the season. We get into the transfer window. We've made two loan signings that we will review. We also interview Rob Statton from Radio Sheffield, and we talk about Preslav Borkov as a punishment to Jeff for not being here today. So let's get right into it. Reading our lineup, largely as expected, kind of... Um, Steady as she goes for us, James. Did you were you surprised by seeing the same lineup? 
Um, I was surprised to see Nuhu in the lineup, uh, based on my comments from last week. But um, I guess we'll get into it in a second. Now, most of the players who started justified those starting positions. Yeah, I mean, it was very much a, a sort of uh, steady as she goes, as you said. And, um, you know, Liam Palmer held on to his position at right, right back. Um, back four was pretty much, you know, as predicted. Uh, kept Matt Penny at left back as well. And, uh, and as I said, Nuhu started up front. Probably a little bit of an eyebrow raise that we didn't bring in Fletcher. Uh, I know he's still kind of getting game time and getting back to fitness. And, and of course, Forestieri is still on the bench. So, you know, a lot of dependency on the likes of Marco Matthias and Lucas Schwau, who've, who've stepped up in the last couple of weeks. But they didn't disappoint, you know, um, as we... Uh, as we'll talk about in a second, just you know, the start of the game was was one of the more ferocious uh, that Wednesday have offered this season. So, fair play to Jos for sticking to his guns and sticking to the players who've uh, who've taken us on this run. Patty, why don't you talk about the the first fifteen minutes? Likely, maybe maybe I'll let you answer. Was it the best fifteen minutes we've played uh, to start a match under Jos? I wouldn't say under Jos. I think we've had better um, games under Jos. Maybe this definitely this season it was the best start we've had. Um, and it's, it's just good to see, isn't it? It's good to uh, have a team that's actually playing attacking football and seems to know what they're doing now. We said a lot in the first three games that no one seemed to know their role. Uh, and maybe after the comments uh, from Jos, maybe people did know their role but which weren't doing as they were told, which is why now they're kind of on the bench rather than in the first 11. And it's that kind of discipline and that kind of... Um, uh, a formation switch that we've moved moved to a four four two. That you start to see now the kind of the fruits that um, uh, of the seeds that Yoss has planted in this team, and you kind of see his way of playing a little bit more. And it's not the kind of boring kind of uh, football that we kind of thought we might get. It's actually quite exciting at times. Really nice kind of sharp one touch triangle moves and uh, lots of movement off the ball, which we just weren't getting in that first few games. Um, and that I think is mainly down to the fact that people weren't in the positions they were supposed to be in, so everything was just falling to pieces. And it's just letting people like Bannon and Reach really shine uh, and, and be as good as they can be. Yeah, I think it was, like you said, incredibly impressive. But I think our youth is really starting to step up. Um, you know, Matt Matt Penny was was fantastic. He he had some great work leading up to the Reach opener. Um, and I don't know if either of you kind of noticed it, but there was a point or a couple points in the match, but one in particular where he got very vocal with the defense. Uh, there was kind of a miscue that almost led to a chance in the first half. And uh, he stepped up and spoke up. And I think you know, Tom Lees is a good leader, but uh, I think it's nice to see some youth uh, being more vocal and kind of taking sort of a leadership role. And I, and I don't have any problem with that and wondering if either of you do. Oh, goodness me, no. Um, I mean, I, I, look, the best teams have got leaders all over the pitch, right? You don't rely on one person to be the captain and everyone else is mute. What you want to see is you want to see the players vocally encouraging one another, you know, have each other's backs and, and at times giving giving each other a bit of a bollocking if they haven't done their job, right? So I love the fact that you've got players like Matt Penny, who's, what, what's this, his second, third start? Um, you know, really kind of, you know, standing up for himself and, and for his place in the team, but also encouraging the, the team players around him. And I, I've seen John Thornley doing exactly the same. Um, Ash Baker's certainly not shy when he comes in. And I think that's probably a, a, one of the reasons why these players are proving themselves to be assets to the club and, and you know, holding down their place in the team because they, they don't, they're not just skillful. They've got a degree of self-confidence and they're willing to put themselves about as part of the team unit as well. Hey, uh, hey, James! It's uh, Luke from Brooklyn. Uh, long time, uh, long time listener, first time caller. Just Luke's here. Uh, hey, Luke. Just want to jump in and uh, and ask you: Do you think there was anyone who uh, 
who who didn't live up to expectations in this game from the starting eleven. It, it's always good to have team chaos, isn't it, on uh, <laughs> on the Isles of Americast. Uh, w- welcome, Luke. Nice of you to join us. Um, sorry, I sorry suppose... about my late arrival. Yeah, for for, for the unaccom- unaccustomed listeners, I guess it's probably always worth pointing out that you know Luke is sort of like our shadow uh, member. He doesn't normally get announced; he just appears in the middle of a podcast randomly. So <laughs> that's um, only happened once before. <laughs> just just watch out for this uh, this character who pops in asking awkward questions. Um, did anyone not really live up to billing in this game? Um, uh, you know, I'm I'm going to say no because I I actually. For me, um, you know, and we'll talk about some of the standout performances in a second. I, th- I thought everyone put in a shift. Um, I was I was really pleased with the way that the defence handled themselves. I mean, yeah, look, there's, there's still work to do. We gave Reading some chances that that I wouldn't ideally want us to be giving, but I felt like everyone was putting their effort. Um, I thought the midfield unit was was a whole lot more effective than we've seen it. And you know, I've been a critic of Adi Newhu, but I thought he put in a shift and and linked the play well on Saturday. So, pretty much of the starting eleven, I, I don't think you could necessarily say that there's anyone there who doesn't merit the shirt right now. Luke. Was that a leading question? Were you um, have you is someone that you thought wasn't pulling their weight on Saturday? No, no. I I just I think that the the I don't want to say the fan base as a whole, but I feel like it's there's there's a dog pile effect that happens where we decide okay this player wasn't up to snuff, so everyone's going to say oh he was terrible and and you know I mean it happens at various times with like Liam Palmer or Fox or. Uh, one of the if one of the goalkeepers makes an error and there's like I've seen this happen I, I see this happen all the time where it's like these single point of failure for one event gets singled out and then everyone focuses on that so everything either that player does or that coach does or that um, I'm thinking of my own professional life that person does suddenly becomes all the 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 problem that breaks breaks a system that's maybe working better than people expect. Yeah, so, kind of like a scapegoat, I, really, I suppose, isn't it? It's, it's kind of like yeah. you always have to have a person to blame for something that didn't go wrong. And I, I think James is right. I think everyone put a shift in on uh, Saturday. Uh, and I think the one that gets most stick, especially from probably us this season, has been um, uh, Ati Nuyu up front. And uh, to his credit, I think he had a decent game. He definitely had some mistakes made, but I'm willing to overlook them because uh, he did put in a lot of effort and I think he did his job he stayed up where he should have been uh, he played the target man uh, and he actually went back to defend sometimes too so I think he's been asked to do that by Yoss by I think he's been asked to go back and get the ball and, and, and kind of cause a nuisance of himself so if he's doing that and Yoss likes it, that's why he's getting 90 minutes every single time Does the um, does the fact that we we're not keeping clean sheets kind of bother anyone else? I don't know. I mean, it's it, yeah. Obviously, it'd be nice to to keep a clean sheet, and it seems like we've been giving up goals kind of late in games when when we've gotten up, um, and it's made it super frustrating toward the end of matches. Um, we have some. We have a lot of youth back there, though. And a lot of guys that are trying to figure out how to to play with a lead, and I think that comes with experience. I think staying sharp for ninety minutes or ninety four or ninety five minutes is a tough thing to do. And that comes with experience. And yes, it's been frustrating, but I, I hold out hope that you know, they start to figure out that that they can't play for eighty-five minutes or or eighty minutes and be content. You know, I mean, I mean the, the exciting thing is that we 
you know, yes, we probably have got a goal in us every game at the moment, but that just means you've got to score two. And we actually sco- we look like a team that can score a couple of goals a game at the moment. Um, or at least we have over the last three three games, we have actually scored two goals in each game. But um, we could have had three or four t- on Saturday, you know, very, very straightforward goals. And, and that's notwithstanding the chances that were more creative and more ambitious. I think, you know, before Reach opened the scoring, Lucas Shaw had a beautiful uh, shot that kind of, you know, brought down on the, on the uh, you know, high speed coming in from a, a sort of a magician ball from, from Bannon. Yeah, we, we should be optimistic that Wednesday are starting to create chances as opposed to concede them. I mean, I, I'm I'm certainly concerned that we continue to shed goals, but if we're showing more optimism going forward, then we you know we can balance that a little bit. You know, I'm going to give uh, the defence a bit of a call out because uh, I was counting defensive headers in the first half. That's how uh, sad I was. We, I mean, we've talked about how bad we've been at defending the balls, uh, crossing uh, some set pieces this season. But actually, we had seven defensive headers in that first half from crosses from Reading. And I thought Tom Lees uh, was at the end of most of them. And he was fantastic, I thought. Definitely his best game of the season, Tom Lees. He really stood out as someone that was attacking the ball, uh, knew where to be stood. And I think that's down to the fact that um, you've got a kind of more settled defence now with Penny and Thornley playing in positions that they should be playing in. Uh, Palmer looks better in a 4-4-2. Um, and, I, and I feel like we're a little bit more solid. Yes, the um, the goal that we conceded in the second half was a header from a set piece, Kel surprise. Um, but watching back, I think that was Atty's man. And uh, he was just a little bit caught ball watching there a little bit. Um, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him that one. It's, it's fine. But let's talk about our goals because our goals were amazing. Well, first of all, I will say that it, it wasn't ball watching from Atty because his, his back was to the guy that had headed the ball in. But yes, I think it was his guy. I just think it was incredibly poor defending. But... Um, yeah, you're right. Let's talk about the second goal. Uh, Joao has been, you know, we talked about it last week, but he has just been phenomenal. I mean, he, he is a top class striker, probably one of the best in the, in the game, the last, uh, or in the league, the last two weeks or so. Uh, let, let's talk about that goal, James. We, we, we can talk about that goal, Evan, but you know, in, in true form, you've managed to forget talking about the first goal, which was equally beautiful. Um, so, I mean, look, you know, well, Joao, I think probably was the pick of the two, um, but honestly, as a team goal, I thought the the first that Reach finished off was was fantastic because what we saw there was was Atty battling back, re- winning the ball, feeding Bannon. Bannon slips a beautiful ball into Penny, and and actually, I think that's Penny's first assist in the championship. Just you know, strokes it across the edge of the box, and the finish from Reach. You know, the, technically that is a really hard thing to pull off. The way he just let basically. Sends the ball back where it's come from without much back lift and just absolutely pinpoints into the bottom corner. Beautiful finish. Um, and then Joao kind of did that with a bit more flair and abandon for the second goal. And what was that, 18 seconds after the restart? I'm guessing not many Wednesday fans had made it up from the concourse at the Majewski Skaden by the time that went in. In fact, I'm guessing half the Wednesday fans in uh, various pubs around uh, New York and, uh, and America hadn't made it back from uh, from the bathroom or, or wherever they were because, you know, that was literally, you can you can watch the clock counting down on the Wednesday website from when we kick off the second half and the finish from Joao from, what is it, 25, 30 yards? It's just audacious the way he just, you know, pile drives it into the bottom uh, bottom right corner way past the despairing uh, grasp of the keeper. So really good pair of goals for Wednesday's score and that, that's where I'm coming from, from optimism. You know, if we've got players like Joao reach in the side then we're, we're dangerous um, and if we start to feed them then maybe we start to get goals out of those chances and that's really encouraging well it was uh, 
it was a scary last 10 minutes as it has been the last three matches. Uh, but nonetheless, it was a third win in a row. Best start to the season since 1991. And I'm going to ask all three of you this. Maybe give me a, a sentence or two of, of your impression from the, from the last. Well, let's just talk about the start in general. Um, are you are you confident moving forward, or is this just kind of a a, a quick spark that might uh, might fade away? Well, let's start with James. Uh, one word: confused. Um, <laughs> I think the first three games, and, and particularly the, the game at Brentford, I think kind of confirmed my suspicion that we were a, a pretty solid mid-table side that was going to be unspectacular, troubled at the back, and, and scrapping our way through the division for the year, um, not living up to our potential. The last three games. Um, you know, frankly, we've we've looked like a you know a, a pretty good uh, top half of the table side. Not necessarily you know top six, but but certainly a team that's going to compete. And we've seen some of our better players come to the fore, and we've seen a team emerge. So, yeah, I'm 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 more optimistic than I was two and a half weeks ago. But this is Wednesday, and it's football, and it changes fast, right? So, you know, I think on balance, we're probably about where we should be, which is what tenth, eleventh in the table. That's that's pretty much on on par with expectations right now. Luke, I think it's it's way too early in the season to like to to commit to I don't know commit to one feeling or the other. I think that the longer we see good kind of defensive play uh, be prioritized, like I, I I guess I kind of feel like Joss is finally getting the young defenders up to speed. And as they get better, I think the team as a whole will get better. But I don't know if necessarily we have the squad depth to last out an entire championship season. So it could it could be good for a little while and then kind of fall away. Or it could kind of go a little sideways first and then get better. But um, I think cautiously optimistic would be my take. Patty? Uh, I have faith in Yoss. I think uh, he's maybe uh, was a little surprised by the reactions of some of his senior players in the first two or three games. Um, and I'm thankful that the Brentford game, some that something good came out of that Brentford game, which was so bad. Uh, it seemed to have really kind of rattled him uh, and almost woke him up. Um, if you saw his face after the first three games, then he looked like a suicidal like a guy who did not want to be there almost. And you, you contrast that with how he was at the end of the game uh, against Reading. And he's smiling, he's joking. I mean, Yoss hasn't got a face for happiness. He's got a face that suits misery. So to see him smiling and joking it is a really nice um, uh, thing to see. And it, he's, he's saying things like he's proud of Penny, proud of Thornley, joking about getting results and putting faith in the kids. He's is um is a different guy, and I think he's got his his kind of mojo back a little bit, um, and I think uh, we kind of killed him a little bit in the first few games of the season. So I really do believe in Joss. I think this is an upward trend. I know it's been three poor teams we've played, but we were losing against poor teams at the beginning of the season. I think we'll beat Stoke uh, in a week and a half. Uh, I think we'll uh, push on from there. And we will push on from here into the. Next segment, which is the transfer window roundup. We've still got Bannon. A uh, new contract for the Scottish magician who, whoever wrote this agenda, says might be as good as Zidane. Was that you, James? 
Uh, well, I think it's uh, it's a it's a popular song uh, in uh, in various parts of Northern England, which says that he's better than Zidane, not so much just as good as. Um, what what a great signing, right? I mean, if you'd started the the summer window and said what what are the things that we had to do, uh, we had to lock down some of the players who are on um, contracts that are expiring in two thousand nineteen, and of those players, probably the one player that you would say that Wednesday had to get a new contract in front of and signed was Barry Bannon, um, and we've done it. Um, probably against our expectations, you know, in all honesty, when we think about the FFP discussions we've been having, that we'd be allowed to do it. Um, but you know, th- there's a player who, who is a difference maker for Wednesday. You know, we all know that you know he can pick a pass that no one else can pick on the field, and he can he can run a midfield. And he did it on Saturday against Reading. He was you know majestic in terms of how he just took control by the scruff of the neck of that game. Um, and he is, you know, he's, he's a player that will be in high demand. And whether Wednesday hang on to him in the long term or whether he becomes a saleable asset next summer, we are going to get his fair market value now. Um, and we've also got a player who clearly appreciates the way the fans have taken to him. So, you know, all round, I think that's an absolutely excellent signing. And, um, you know, c- contrast with any player coming in, uh, he's a player that we all wanted to keep. So, so terrific business by Wednesday, I think, in that respect. I think one of the sad things about watching on iPlayer is that we don't always get the the full slate of songs that are sung by the home or away fans, and and so Evan might not have ever heard the the We've Got Banan song fully. Yeah, honestly, I don't I don't know if I have, which is a shame. I actually I pulled up a couple videos before I think before the opener of just. Just uh, iPhone videos of people in the stands um, recording Wednesday fans chanting. And to be honest with you, it's kind of hard to understand what they're trying to say sometimes. <laughs> I mean, you, so, spend, you spend five minutes with, with me in the football factory on my own singing Bannon songs. And I think you'll be okay. We'll get you up to speed. Yeah, or I'll we'll get, get you to Hillsborough and we'll get you singing in the cart with us. Yeah, maybe something in the works there, actually, for... Uh, <laughs> For this winter, working on the wife on a, on a possible trip. But we're hot on the heels of Lucas Joao's new contract, and the club is really moving swi- swiftly to lock down some key players that are out of contract in 2019. Do any of you see a couple more signings? Kind of, What do you expect out of the players out of contract before the season's end? I was just trying to find a list. Of, has anyone got a list of uh, who's out of contract? It's basically all the old players, right? All the shitty old players like Boyd and Abdi and Matthias. Matthias, who's, who's playing like he needs a new contract, which is good. So I think if, as long as we keep that as a kind of carrot dangled over him for the rest of the season, we might get a, some decent play out of him. Um, Fox, Padil as well. Padil. Um, anyone else? Liam Palmer, I think. I could be wrong. Um... No, that that is correct. Actually, he is he is out of contract. I, think I mean, if you're cynical for a second, ones. yeah, exactly. That you know, I mean, I you know, there the, may be a couple of those players have had contracts offered to them and they haven't accepted them, but that's probably the reality that Wednesday have already made a call that we're going to let those players go, um, which also probably explains why they're not that bothered about playing for us and why they're not in the team. Um, you know, Liam Palmer might be an exception to that. You know, he, he seems to be playing with his heart on his sleeve, and you know, maybe he earns a contract offer in January. Um, let, let's see. Um, but I think there's plenty of players there who probably won't be at Sheffield Wednesday in the second half of 2019, and um, and you've probably listed most of them, buddy. And I think that's what um, Chancery and Mier must have said to um, the EFL to maybe relax that embargo. If they gave us a list of players that said these people are out of contract at the end of uh, 
2019, and they're part of the kind of FFP for the, the year forward. That all of these, the AFL didn't know that. And we said, look, all these people are earning X amount of cash. We're just getting rid of them. They're not being extended. So take that into account when you're reviewing our embargo. And that, I think that's along with a few other things, might have been enough to soften the embargo for, for us. Well, it certainly will bring the cost base down. Um, you know, unfortunately, because those players probably won't leave for a fee, we won't be able to register that, you know, as as an improvement to revenue in 2018-19. So whether that gets us out of jail without selling players, I, I probably question. But it sets us on a much more sustainable course from a cost-based management point of view going forward, definitely. I mean, no one's going to pay money for those players. Christ almighty. Uh, well, we did sign two players on loan. <laughs> Onuma and Michael Hector. Onuma um, really can play any spot in the midfield. He's a, a chance creator. He's been fantastic as a youngster. He's played with, with uh, the England the development teams, and he's only getting better with age. Michael Hector, he's a center back, uh, made 38 appearances for Hall last season. He's got experience playing. Uh, in a, he actually has experience playing in a back three with Eintracht Frankfurt in the Bundesliga. Uh I've I've read in scouting reports that he has decent pace and quickness for a center back, and uh, he's six foot four, so he's got plenty of size. Uh, curious what you guys think, Luke. We'll start with you. How these guys will kind of fit into um, what we have going on right now? I'd I'd be surprised if we see either of them starting soon. I think these are um, these are players that need. I mean, most likely will be worked into the team slowly. Um, and I definitely think that they are much needed depth. Um, whether whether they're willing to, to, you know, slum it out in the championship for a bit uh, remains to be seen. I mean, clearly Hector has done so before. I don't know if Onama has been on loan last season. Yeah, he was a villain. I can't remember. Villa, okay. He's a Villa, and Villa and, fans were a little bit uh, negative around him because I think they were, I think they were playing him out of position. I think they were playing him as a kind of striker sometimes, as an attacking midfielder. Mm-hmm. Um, but from the people, I think I saw him in the in the England and Twenty One World Cup like a year or two ago, and he was fantastic. That team was fantastic, and he's the kind of um, engine kind of room uh, person you need that's just going to run the entire ninety odd minutes. Um, and I see him as a kind of I agree with you, he's not going to be blooded in straight away. I think he might be slowly eased in, but I kind of see him replacing Pelopesi. Hmm. Interesting. He's definitely competition for Pelopesi, isn't he? Yeah. And Which is a really interesting reflection in its own right, because it kind of suggests that Hutch becomes third choice in that holding midfielder role, um, with Bannon pretty much you know first name on the team sheet in the in the more kind of probing attacking midfield role. But from what I understand, Onomar can play both both roles. He can play deep, um, and he can play at the front end of, of the midfield as well. And you know, like Villa used him um, out on the wing, or or as or as a pacey attacking midfielder. So he's going to give us versatility. There'll be games where I think that you know it suits us to kind of let him go, and there'll be games when he when he sits in and you know maybe he does that that job that Pelopesi I think has been doing pretty well personally. Um, I know he gets a lot of slating, but I think he's he's quietly been going about the job. Um, and then we have an option to to deploy Hutch as a centre back as well, um, but with competition from Hector, who. Um, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see where they do fit in because, arguably, he he looks more like a replacement for Tom Lees than for uh, for John Thornley based on recent performances. But Lees has upped his game; he's obviously the club captain. So, uh, whether we move back to a back three now, we've got enough recognised centre backs, or whether we stick with the flat back four and play four two three one is um, is going to give Yoss versatility, and and that's definitely a good thing. 
I, I think it's it's not a coincidence that Leeds had his best game when we're signing a centre half. He's, I mean, competition for places will do that to people. I think there's maybe a little bit of an element of complacency in Leeds and to some extent Pelopesi too, because there's not really anyone challenging for their roles. Um, so having these two people, even if they just kind of pressure them from the training ground or the bench, is a great is a great set of signing either way. By the way, I had two people reach out to me independently about Michael Hector. I've got an Aberdeen fan friend and I've got a Reading fan friend who both said that this is a fantastic signing. Uh, I know that not the best quality teams in the world to take recommendations from, but I think he came, he came through the Reading ranks and the Reading fan really had very uh, good reviews about him. And the Aberdeen uh, friend of mine said he was fantastic too. So I've got actually big hopes, Michael Hector. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing is don't necessarily judge them by the teams they've played for on loan. Judge them by the teams that have signed them and have retained them. You know, we've got Odomar from Spurs and we've got Hector from Chelsea. You know, these are not teams that just keep average players on their books. You know, yeah. they, they buy a surplus of players, but they buy a surplus of really good players. So we've got talent that Wednesday, frankly, shouldn't have. You know, that's the way good Premier League loans work. Now, what's going to be really interesting is, uh, you know, are there any clauses in the loan contracts which say that we will play them more often than not? You know, are there a certain number of games that they're expected to achieve? Uh, there is a dark side to Premier League loans whereby it's possible to get fined if you don't play them as much as you said you were going to do. Um, or rather, it triggers payments to the, the Premier League parent clubs. So there's there's a really interesting dynamic here, but we shouldn't mistake the fact that these are high-caliber, high-class players, which are a markup on some of the players around the club right now. Um, and that should be should be a really good thing. That They also should hopefully push Wednesday in a direction where they set an example for the type of uh, facilities and infrastructure and backroom activities that are expected of a club of higher stature like Spurs and like Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head, uh, especially with Michael Hector. He's, he's an incredibly exciting guy for me. Um, he's six foot four, and, and reports say he has pace and that he's a, a great big, just great cog in a, in a defense. And yeah, he plays for Chelsea, who have a host of incredible defenders already on their books. And so, yeah, maybe just can't get some of that first team experience. And they think, why, why keep him around? Let's send him out. And. I think he's going to be great. Um, Onuma, I mean, it, I, he sounds he sounds more like perhaps a uh, a spark off the bench, just a, a super sub, if you will, someone that provides a little a little pace and maybe plays against some tired uh, legs of, of some defenders. But um, I, I like the two signings, and, and I am excited about it. But uh, James, I think you know. We, we keep talking about profit and sustainability. We, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but uh, do you think, or what kind of impact do you think that this window has on our profit and sustainability? Do you have anything to add in that regard? Well, the, the one thing I do want to add is somebody needs to give some serious credit to our chief executive. Um, we went into this window obviously under an embargo, um, and we've talked extensively about the reasons why that has been the case and the pressures that Wednesday have been under in order to comply with PNS. Um, and those pressures only get worse as, as windows go on. Um, we've come through this window, we've come out of the embargo, we've managed to re-sign two of our most valuable future assets in Trow and, and Bannon. We brought in two Premier League loans that strengthen the side in areas we all knew needed strengthening. 
um, we haven't sold anybody. We've still got all of the saleable assets that you know we we could have had to to resort to uh, to letting go in order to balance the books. So real credit to Catering Mier and and to Dave Ponchanceri. Um, but I you know I, I give Mier a lot of the credit because I understand that was the remit she was brought in with, which was to to manage this situation. Um, going forward, we don't get out of this without selling. You know we don't swan through next summer and. Uh, without getting promoted and and not have to make uh, some form of sacrifice in the form of of players for revenues. So we shouldn't mistake a good window as being um, an indicator that all is well. Um, But it's definitely a mark in the right direction. And I think it's it's some very shrewd manoeuvring by the club and it sets us up better for success. Players that we may have to sell will get better value for, as I said. Uh, We're bringing in youth and quality into the team repeatedly and into the club uh, from uh, building relationships with the Premier League. And we're biding our time and depending on where we are in January, depending on whether promotion is a reality, is something people think it may be, um, we then have the option on on obviously considering certain sales uh, in the January transfer window. So all in all, uh, you know, the risk is not gone away, but the club has positioned itself well to, to have a shot on goal for this season, which is all credit to them. Well, we will take a quick break when we return. It's an interview with Rob Staten. Okay, well, thanks for joining us after the break, and we're delighted to be joined by a slight twist on our usual interview format this week. Um, instead of interviewing an American Wednesday, we're going to interview a British Wednesday correspondent, and we're delighted to be joined um, by Rob Staten from Radio Sheffield, who has been covering Wednesday for uh, a m- long, long period. I guess I'll, I'll get him to correct me on exactly how many years in a moment, um, but we'll be familiar to pretty much all Wednesdayites here in the US um, as the voice of Wednesday in many respects for, for people who found uh, Sheffield Wednesday and found uh, fan fandom through listening over the internet over many years so Rob many uh, many big welcome to the uh, to the Owls Americast and we're delighted to have you on board we're going to ask you a, a really simple question to, to get you started if that's all right um, normally when we have our, our fans on here we ask them how they became a Wednesdayite um, for you Rob we thought we'd ask you how you came to cover Sheffield Wednesday Okay, so um, I'll sort of give you the short version of that. Um, When I was about 14 or 15, I knew that I was never, ever, ever, ever going to be a footballer um, and thought the best, uh, next best thing to do was to try and earn a living uh, waffling about football um, for a career and and sort of commentating in the radio was something I wanted to get into. So I ended up doing hospital radio when I was a teenager for a couple of years. Absolutely loved that. It's the best thing I've ever done. Um, if anybody is listening to this who wants to get into to radio, uh, go and find your local hospital radio because it is the best learning experience. And then from there, I ended up working at Rotherham United. I lived in Canada for a bit, um, came back, continued to work at Rotherham United as their club commentator. Was very, very lucky, extremely lucky that Seth Bennett, um, who was at Radio Sheffield, and Paul Walker gave me the time of day and, and gave me an opportunity to eventually do some, some freelance work for Radio Sheffield, covering Rotherham initially, then Donny. And then from there, had an opportunity to do Praise or Grumble for the first time. You know, and having grown up listening to it was, was just like a dream come true. And then from there, got a full-time job at Radio Sheffield when Seth left. And I've been there ever since, and it's, what, seven years um, I've been full-time at Radio Sheffield and 10 years that I've been working for them in total. 
And, and over those seven years, have you been covering Wednesday pretty much the whole time, uh, either kind of from a football heaven perspective or, or directly interacting with the club? So the, the first season that I did as a full-time member of staff was the year that Wednesday and United were going for promotion in League One and Wednesday just sort of pipped United right at the end to, to get automatic promotion and United lost in the playoffs. So that was that the first year that I had working at Radio Sheffield, you know, and to have a, you know, at least one of the teams in the region getting a promotion, it was Wednesday in this case, was was amazing. Um, I, I'd like to say that since then, there's just been one roaring success after another, but it hasn't been that way, uh, shame. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, it's. I think since in the last seven years, I've, I've done a lot of the Wednesday games, done a lot of the Wednesday press conferences. I've been a lot of the big moments that Wednesday have done, especially in the last few years, uh, with sort of Carlos Cavalier coming in, getting to the playoffs twice, going to Wembley which was just an amazing experience um, watching Wednesday in the playoffs. And, and, and then here we are now to, to, to sort of living through and working through the, the Des Ponchanciri years so far and, and to see how that's changed the club. And uh, it's, been, it's never been dull. You know, it's, it, if there's one thing you can't levy at Wednesday or United, you know, even when they're not in the Premier League, they've been very interesting teams to cover. There's nearly always something going on, whether it's on the pitch or off the pitch. And um, I have just loved every single minute of, of working for my local radio station, covering the local teams, and I wouldn't have changed it for anything. Uh, we've only been going for about 18 months, and that, that's felt like a fairly roller coaster time in Wednesday history. Um, but the last, to pick the last seven years is, is probably... A pretty extraordinary time to have been covering Wednesday, um, much much so as, oh. as well as following them. Um, one of the reasons we've got you on, Rob, is you know, we wanted to kind of congratulate you and wish you well on um, what's emerged in the last few weeks in terms of your uh, your move uh, away from Radio Sheffield. I, I was kind of interested in, in how you were feeling about about leaving first of all, but kind of as you as you look back on those seven years, do, do you have a particular highlight, or, you know, kind of a, one particular memory, particularly of covering Wednesday, that, that stands out? I think in particular for Wednesday and um it's 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 a it's a day that I think a lot of people look at very differently. So and it's it's the it's the Wembley game. I think if if we're talking purely about, you know, not funny moments, but a moment that I remember working on Wednesday and and sort of being pleased that I was there and able to cover that event, it was the the playoff final against Hull. And I remember after the game and I'll come on to why it was so good in a minute, but after the game, speaking to fans outside Wembley, when we woke up in the hotel the next day, because we stayed over in, against Barnes, who were playing a playoff final the next day against Millwall, and speaking to a lot of Wednesday fans, there was either this kind of, hey, do you know what? Well, you know, we lost, but we, we will have another go next year. That was sort of what a lot of the fans were saying. And then there was just, there were certain fans who were just absolutely despondent, saying, what a missed opportunity. You know, will Wednesday get a, as good an opportunity as that, you know, one-off game to get back to the Premier League again? And it was really interesting to see. But my sort of opinion on it was, I've seen England play at Wembley. I've seen all of the local clubs play at Wembley, except Doncaster. I wasn't working at Radio Sheffield when Doncaster beat Leeds at Wembley. Um, and I've seen the NFL games at Wembley. And I've probably been at Wembley for other things that I've completely forgotten. I mean, I've been there for FA Vars trophies and stuff like that as well. Um, but I've never heard an atmosphere like... Was, there was that day and it was all because of the Wednesday fans and on, they were the right hand side of us in the commentary position it was really interesting to, to sort of speak to one or two of the national media and see the way that they reacted to the support that day you know Henry Winter the first thing he did at the full time whistle was talk about the fans Steve Bruce in his press conference said that he thought the Wednesday fans were going to push Wednesday over the top 
And you know what? I thought it was it was it was a moment to be proud of sort of South York. I'm, I'm speaking generally because you know I'm Radio Sheffield. A, pr- a moment for South Yorkshire football fans to be proud of themselves because you know I, I've never seen an atmosphere like that. And I think it was in part because Wednesday had been so starved of of, of a game of that magnitude in such a long time that the fans just went out and absolutely gave it everything and and just said, you know what? Whatever happens, they're going to have a good day. And I, and I think they were. A real credit to the team then. I think a lot of people came away from that, you know, who were neutrals, whether they were journalists or just people who happened to be at that game for whatever reason, probably really impressed with the support. And I, and I was sat next to Phil King and, and Andy Giddings, who was commentating with me, and we just couldn't stop talking during the commentary about how great the atmosphere was. And it, we said afterwards that, you know, how good would it have been? I think there was a, there was a moment right at the end when I, I don't know if Jeremy Ellen had a shot or it was a cross or something. I can't remember. It's a while ago now. And we were all saying, what, just imagine the noise if that had gone in or if they'd have got a late goal there to send it to extra time. It's a shame that that didn't happen. But I think overall, the atmosphere was just incredible. And, you know, if you're talking about my sort of favourite moment covering Wednesday, I think sort of being able to witness that was, was right up there. Yeah, speaking of someone who was in the crowd, I, I can definitely attest to the atmosphere. It was proper kind of hairs on the back of your neck territory for, for a full-on 90 minutes, and uh, it's it's right up there, I think, with, with most fans' experiences. So it must have been a pleasure to see that and see that in the context of the national picture as well. For context, Rob, I'm pretty sure Jeremy Allen's shot is still rising somewhere over North London because it, uh, <laughs> it, it was a long bloody way from uh, from going in, unfortunately. But, I mean, th- there is something special about being a Wednesday, and the, the funny thing about that particular example is that that's actually been the catalyst for a lot of the uh, communities that have started to develop here in the States as people kind of caught on to, to what it was to follow Wednesday through that campaign, saw us in the playoff final. Um, You've had a really privileged position hosting Football Heaven um, for the last few years, kind of hearing from the football community in Sheffield, not just Wednesdayites, but as you said, fans from across South Yorkshire. It's um, you know it's a special day today because it's um, Sheffield FC's um, commemoration, I think, for, for one of their long-serving players, and, and obviously it's yeah. Wednesday's 151st birthday. Maybe you could just kind of speak to, to our American listeners just in terms of what, what is it that's, that's special about following football in, uh, in the cradle of, of football in South Yorkshire? Yeah, that is a that's a great question because there's just something unique about it. And, you know, maybe I'm a little bit biased because I've been brought up in South Yorkshire and I've kind of just been here most of my life and I, I know what it's like. But I've I listen to to a lo- local radio sport and there's there's nothing quite like football heaven. And I don't think that's necessarily just because, you know, twenty years ago Paul and Seth and Luke Wildman created a great idea and made a great show and it's just been great ever since i think it's the fans i think it's just the people i don't know what it is maybe it's because there's two big clubs in in a city like sheffield and you don't get that in other cities you know there isn't that in leeds for example it's just leeds united there's no two maybe it would be similar there if there was leeds united and leeds wednesday for example you know just to use an example there but there is just something about the characters around here I'd say it's also there's, there's two sort of ways of looking at it. One, it means so much to the people around here. They are absolutely desperate for success. They've been starved of success. And I think that makes it really important. But I think also there's just a great sense of humour. There's ability to have a laugh. And, you know, some fans take it very seriously, the rivalries and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of that, you know, taking going over the top of the rivalries. And I think that there are a lot of people who just have a bit of a laugh at it and a joke and a wind-up and a bit of banter. And I, and I love that. And that's what I've loved most about doing football heavens, those kind of characters who come off and are willing to, to sort of treat it that way. I think it's, it is a very, it's ingrained in this community. You know, football is just part of what we are. And, you know, it is the, it is the birthplace of football. Sheffield FC is the first uh, football club to be formed in the world. 
that Wednesday United are so important. That we talk about Sheffield specifically. This is this city is football, and I think it's about time we shouted about it a little bit more. That we made more of it. You know, if the football was born really in Manchester or Liverpool or Munich or Barcelona. You'd never hear the end of it. There'd be museums everywhere. There'd be merchandise. There'd be all sorts shout about it and I don't think we, we do a little bit we're doing it maybe a little bit more these days but we don't make enough of it you know this is really where club football was born so I'd love to see us make more of that in the future and really get that message out because we should be proud of it and it's not that people don't care about football's so important to people over here I wish we made more of a deal about it and, and I hope we do that in the future yeah I couldn't agree more and, and that's exactly what we're trying to do kind of in our small part I guess by building the community Wednesday I said it is that but definitely getting people connected to what it is to, uh, to follow football in Sheffield because um, there is something unique about it. And I can say that as a, as a Brit, but even people like um, Evan and, uh, and Jeff have cottoned on to that somehow through, uh, through the distance of several thousand miles. So we'll, we'll come back to that in a second. In, in the spirit of uh, having a little bit of humour with you, Rob, I mean, we, we've got one obvious question, which is, um, is Brian the Blade a real caller? Or is that, is that, is that <laughs> part of the mix? Hey, do you know Brian the Blade hanged me today? Um, yeah, Brian the Blade is a, he's a real caller. I've, I've met him a couple of times. Um, he is, he, you know, I, the thing about Brian is I, I, I stick up for Brian. And I know that he's got a divided opinion on, on football level because he comes on, you know, he, he says what he says. And yeah, I'd say that it's, it's a real split. Like 50% of the people react to what Brian has to say and say, I love Brian. He's hilarious. Um, he, you know, he's such an integral part of football heaven. You know, same without Brian. And then you have a load of people saying, no, oh, why is Brian on again? Why have you put Brian on again? You only ring him up when it's quiet. I can honestly say that we have never rung Brian the Blade on a quiet show just to get it going. He's a, he's a regular caller. Um, the thing about the phoning is we put people on a ring in, and Brian is someone who rings up regularly and has some big opinions. Some of them, there is a nugget of truth every now and again in something that Brian says, uh, but there's also a lot of um, over-the-top stuff and slightly controversial stuff, and he's, he's always seems to be five minutes away from a, a threat of a protest, um, even when his team, Sheffield United, are doing well. Um, but I just think he's a character, and, and I do say, you know, I think that he is. Football heaven would definitely not be the same without Brian the Blade. Whether you love him or you don't, um, I think it, it, would, it just wouldn't be the same show without that man. So I have met him. He's a real person. He is a real caller. He's not an employee of BBC Radio Sheffield, and uh, you know I kind of I'm kind of fond of him. He's um, he's certainly a character, that's right, and he uh, he's done his pleasure of, uh, of winding us up, I think, um, over the years. But I'm sure we've done it. And listen, Rob, let's let's kind of switch back to football and, and away from kind of the, the family. And you know, one big question is obviously telling your reflections as you as you leave the Wednesday beat. Um, you know, we talked earlier on about the fact it's been tumultuous for a few years, but you're leaving at a point where Wednesday is very much a club in transition again. Um, and we've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about the, the consequences of missing out on promotion the last couple of years, um, some of the changes that we've had to see within the Contrano Series regime, uh, and obviously, you know, change on the field as well in terms of how Yosuru is setting up the team. I'm just kind of interested in, you know, what, what are your perceptions on Wednesday, the state of Wednesday today, and, and you know, where, where the club is headed right now from your point of view? I think it's a really hard question to answer. I don't think we really know the answer to that. I think we're going to have to wait another 12 months to find out exactly what the situation is. The club is in a, under a transfer embargo since April. And then without really doing anything, they didn't sell anybody. 
Um, there was no obvious shift or change in, in the financial situation, that we, at least not that we know of. Um, suddenly the club came out of the transfer embargo again. Now we know that um, Deshpan Chansiri and the club were speaking to the EFL. He made that clear at the, at the fans forum. They were very confident at that fans forum that there was going to be some good news soon. And that proved to be true. The club came out of the transfer embargo. And that's been extremely important because they've been able to re-sign Lucas Schwau, re-sign Barry Bannon. The threat of a few weeks ago that they would lose those players for absolutely nothing in the summer is now completely gone. Both players are banging form and, and looking terrific at the moment. And their value, just just in the last two weeks, probably since they signed those deals, has, has risen because they're playing so well. Um, but then what happens next? You know, As I mentioned, they haven't sold anybody. They haven't sold... Westwood, Forestieri, or, or somebody else who, who's on a, on a big salary to, uh, for a big fee to bring in some money. So at the end of the season, if Sheffield Wednesday don't get promoted, are they going to go back under a transfer embargo? Um, are they going to be okay? You know, it's, it's profit and sustainability is, is obviously a three-year thing with an average at the end. You know, it, it, having got one year off the books and been a further year down the line, does that help them? Does it hinder them? I mean, I mean these are all questions that I think it's very difficult to answer at the moment. Um, obviously, while they're winning, people will be hoping that they can get into promotion contention. And if they get into the Premier League this year, then all becomes a moot point and there won't be any issues there. But if they don't get into the Premier League this year and you get into the summer, what happens next? I just think that's a question that a lot of fans will be wondering. Some won't because some don't really want to pay attention to stuff off the field and off the pitch. But I think it is a question that will linger for Wednesday until we know exactly what division they're playing in next season. And, and when the summer arrives. Yeah, we, we, we've spent a lot of time, uh, as you may have heard, talking about the consequences that could arise next summer. And I think it, it certainly seems that the fan base as a whole has, has walked on to that um, in terms of the, the being a big price to pay, unfortunately, in, in the squad if we, if we don't make it up. But it does seem like the club has, has you know, made some really good progress in, in the last few weeks, obviously skewing the embargo being released and, uh, and as you mentioned, with the new contracts as well. Did you get an overall impression of a of an administration that's maturing, that's changing its approach? Um, you know, learning from from the experiences we've had over. Yes, I think so. I think that's definitely the case, and I think that the management's a big part of that. I think that Josh Lukai, you know, there aren't many managers that being told, as I presume that Josh Lukai was in April or whatever it was, there was an ability to sign any players that would have just sort of got on with the job, would have put the youngsters in and you know I think the, the manager deserves credit the youngsters have got a lot of credit you know John, uh, Jordan Thorne's played great Matt Penny's played great I think Thorne's played best of people give credit for this season um, they've got a lot of praise but the manager hasn't really got the praise for, for guiding them and for, for giving them the opportunities and, and I think that he deserves that and um, Wednesday's youngsters are showing that they don't necessarily need to go out and spend and spend and spend. You know, there, there are talented young players in, in the academy that for too long haven't got a chance. Well, Sheffield United were constantly building youngsters and, and giving youngsters an opportunity and selling them at a, at a big price and then developing the next set of youngsters and have produced players that have played in, in England the World Cup semi-final. Sheffield Wednesday never really seems to be giving their youngsters an opportunity. They are now and look how good they are. I think Matt Penn has been fantastic since he came into the team as a left-back. Um, and Jordan Thorne as well, and others, Ash Baker, and many, you know, the two goalkeepers, and others too. So um, I think it's a good thing. I think that is a, a, a sign that Wednesday are maybe going to do things a little bit differently. I do think they have to be willing to do 
a little bit more. And I know this is something that you've talked in your podcast about this. I think they do have to be a little bit more willing to do what Leeds and Derby have done, which is if someone comes in with a mega bid for somebody, for the sake of profit and sustainability, I think you do need to have a churn. I think that just modern-day football these days, you need to be willing to sell one or two and then bring in two or three in, uh, you know, every sort of two or three years. I think you need a fresh squad every now and again. I don't think you can keep the same team together for years and years and years on end. Um, I think that you you need to do that to, to play the game of the system a little bit the way it is without parachute payments. And you see Leeds have been able to do that. They've sold Ward, they've sold Vieira, Derby have sold players, um, and then, you know, sell, they sell people and then, you know, they bring in others like Waghorn, for example, and others like that. So, I think they've got to be willing to do that. And I'd like to see, from an outsider's point of view, I'd like to see Wednesday maybe go down that road in the future. But yeah, I think I'd agree with you. I think there is, they have learned a little bit from, um, from the last few years. And maybe it is a new direction and maybe a, a better direction. And it, it, it's interesting because we, we made the same point about selling players. Um, we've still got to this point right now with, without having to really make any major sales if you exclude Jack Hunt. So, so I guess that's just something that Wednesday nights probably still still need to get a little bit used to. Um, two quick follow-on questions for you, Rob. One which is um, related to, to the manager and, and, and one then is kind of, you know, uh, just a general general reflection. Um you mentioned kind of that maybe Yoss isn't getting the the credit for the turnaround that he's secured. I'm I'm just interested in you know how he is as a as a leader and as a manager to to interact with uh, from a press perspective and and kind of you know what you think he's maybe doing a little bit differently behind the scenes. I don't know to be honest because he's a very private person and he doesn't give much away in press conferences. So I, I think that's just the way that he operates. Um, I know that things are very different in Germany and. I don't think he'll mind us sharing that we we once had a conversation with him um, before a press conference where he, he revealed that it, at Germany that the press actually sit in on the the training sessions and they actually watch them and then if in a game if a free kick that was worked on all week in training doesn't come off it would often come up in the in the press conference you worked on that all week why didn't the, why didn't that free kick why wasn't that executed as well as expected and it was an eye opener for for us I think that. You know, that's one, that's the kind of access the German teams get to the press. And two, the sheer number of press people that would turn up to the Bundesliga press conferences uh, before and after the games. So, I, you know, he's very, I think that that will have given him an experience and a savviness about how to, to deal with the press. Um, I think he's a, he's a nice guy and I think he's, he's quite honest. And um, I liked that. I think he's he's perhaps needed to show a little bit more in his press conferences, and I think he did that before the the Wolves Cup game. I thought it was his best press conference when he was a little bit more animated, talking about how he wants to see passion from the players and he wants to see a certain level of effort from them. And um, listen, that was a difficult time after the Brentford game when there was a real. I, I imagine a lot of Wednesday fans were thinking, "Where's this season going to go?" And were perhaps fearing the worst after that Brentford game, and they've won the next three games. So I think that. That was a difficult situation. It could have gone either way. If they'd have not, if they'd have lost both those home games at Hillsborough, lost one and drawn one, and then had to go to Reading, a team that have had a bad start, looking to to get a win, that that could have been a very difficult time for him. So again, I think give him some credit. He's he's what he's been eight nine months into the job now. I still think that he he needs time to sort of get his vision at Sheffield Wednesday, and I still think the press. And the fans probably need time to get to know what he's all about a bit more because it's it's coming out slowly, and I think we saw a little bit more of it 
in that press conference before the Wolves game. And it's interesting, you, you do see kind of a bit more of the person, don't you? And, and that starts to express itself a little bit more in terms of the way he makes decisions. So um, my impression is the fans seem to be warming to that. So um, I think, as always, the more that a person shows themselves, the more people can kind of gauge them. But um, results appear to be moving in the right direction as well. So it's, it's amazing the difference a couple of weeks make. Because I was, uh, again, at the Brentford game, and it certainly didn't feel that positive in the uh, in the pub afterwards. Um, final question on, on Wednesday specifically for you, Rob, which is kind of, as, as I said, a little bit of reflection, which is, you know, you've talked about your highs and lows of, of covering the club and, and the passion of the fans. I'm just curious, kind of, you know, is, is, is the one story that you haven't been able to talk about on air uh, up to this point that kind of, you know, <laughs> makes you chuckle when you think back about the, the craziness that involves following a football club like Wednesday for, for this long? Um, wow, well, there's, there's been some some funny moments over the years, that's that's for sure. Um, there, was, there was one game I did involving Wednesday. With, I'm not going to mention the two commentators, I'm really sorry, but I did a game with two two commentators and it was a Wednesday game and I, and I can remember thinking <laughs> at half time I could not get a word in edgeways the two commentators just talked and talked and talked and I could just all I was thinking of during the first half was don't go on Twitter at half time because you're going to get absolutely hammered for not jumping in and trying to to sort of wrestle control of the the commentary it was the worst half of commentary I've ever done and I, I still kind of chuckle uh, thinking back to that um, there was a Millwall game when I was travelling um, on a Tuesday night to Millwall, I set off probably just a little bit too late to get to, to London on a Tuesday night and got inevitably stuck on the M25. Um, and thankfully, because iPhones are so useful these days and they've got like a, a, a sat-nav constantly updating and telling you the quickest route, it told me to come off, drive through London, sort of like see all the sites on your way, and then you'll get to the den at 7.38, I think it was going to say. The game kicked off at 7.45. I have never missed a game. Never missed a game. This was going to be the first game that I missed to start off. I got there at 7.38. I was busting for a slash when I got into the ground. Um, went up to the seats, just put the kit down. Darren Purse was was commentating with me at the time, and he was there, and he was laughing his head off about the fact that I'd turned up really late. And his dad had come with him to the game. And Darren Purse and his dad both grew up as Millwall fans. So they were there doing the commentary next to me, and Wednesday scored in this game in the second half. And as you can imagine, with it being the den, the Millwall fans turned round as we were commentating. And I won't use the language because this is a family podcast, but they were making it very clear that they were not happy about our presence there as BBC Radio Sheffield representatives commentating on a Wednesday goal. And there was some colourful language used about us and our northern heritage, shall we say. And Darren Purser's dad <laughs> leaned over and expressed in a, in a very forthright way that he wasn't from the North, that he was a bleeping Millwall fan, <laughs> at these Millwall fans. And all of this bled through onto the microphones and onto the air. And this exchange between the two, I was having to apologise on the air and and make it very clear that you know we were very sorry about the language being used, but I was also laughing my head off internally. Um, about just this moment with with Darren Purser's dad and the Millwall fans, and the only other the time that that sort of I think back that's really sort of that will stick with me as well is when Atty knew you did praise or grumble, and uh, he came in and he sat down and I asked him I'd seen him doing some extra training sessions um, during the week at a press conference so I kind of asked him about it and his response was that he's not the type of player to go home and say f it, uh, and that was live on the air. And I can just remember the reaction to that 
on social media was just incredible. It was balmy. And uh, yeah, I, I again, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't like the fact that two of my memories both involve swearing on the radio, but they're also two memories that I will probably never forget working at Radio Sheffield. Oh, that's quite all right, Rob. I mean, I can, I can guarantee you we're, we're not the most family friendly podcast. I think we've got, we've got oh, our right. uh, take, take care and be warned rating on, on iTunes. And uh, I guess that oh, just yeah. to show why they put American commentators behind the grass screens here. <laughs> Awesome. Um, well, I mean, we, we could talk all night about Wednesday, but we, we noted that you were, and I think you talked earlier on about the fact that you spent time in Canada and, and, and in the US. So I guess kind of building on that, Rob, um, you know, we wanted to kind of switch uh, tack for a second and talk a little bit about another type of football and, and the fact that you've uh, you've got quite a passion for the American version. Um, and if I'm not wrong, you're a, you're a Seattle Seahawks fan, which will a- appeal to our, uh, our Cascadia owls uh, up in Portland and Seattle and the Pacific Northwest. Um, so we'll flip the, the question that we open with and ask you, how did you become a Seahawks fan? So when I was in uh, Canada and I, I sort of went to live in Canada for a while and um, me and the missus went to Seattle for a, just like a, a long weekend because it's only down the road on the, on, the, on the bus. And then we went to, I, I managed to drag her to a Seattle Mariners game and they lost 10-0, by the way, to the Blue Jays, which was fun. And um, it took up the whole day and she was very mad. But then on, on the way out, I said, um, we walked past Seattle's state it was called um, Quest Field at the time and I said I, I, I've got to come back here and get to a game there you know we've got to come back and, and she was rolling around okay whatever and then a few weeks later there was an opportunity to go to Seattle I could get some time off work we could go there and we could go and watch Monday night football and Green Bay were playing Seattle and Brett Favre was going to play uh, Monday night football so she agreed we'll go on another trip to Seattle just for this game we went all the way down to Seattle again Wednesday game um walked into the stadium and look, not expecting to have any interest in the Seahawks again after this game. I just wanted to go and see a game in the stadium. You know, I love sport, never been to an American football game. The, the Seahawks had been in the Super Bowl the previous year. So, you know, they were, they were quite a hot team at the time. And I'm just walking in there and it was a snow, it was a snowstorm game. So the snow was pioneering, the weather was terrible, but just the, the atmosphere and the noise and the way that the Seahawks kind of involved the fans in the experience. You know, they were giving free stuff away when you walked in and, you know, everybody. And you just got, actually, it was an amazing thing because the Green Bay fans, there was a lot of people had travelled from Wisconsin to Seattle for this game on Monday Night Football. And they were all kind of just sat with each other. You know, there was there was no away end. It was just away fans with home fans. There was no fighting. There was no swearing. There was a bit of joking, a bit of banter and stuff like that. But it was just great. And I can remember just on the way out, um, the Seahawks won. On the way out, um, I just thought that was amazing. That was that was just what an experience. Um, just just to feel, you know, everybody in that stadium just kind of really felt part of, of the experience that day. And then the next week, I ended up watching their game. They played Denver the following week. They won that game and ended up sort of watching that. Um, they, I watched them against the lose against the 49ers the following week. Then we flew back um, to England to move back to England. And I, I remember watching them against the Dallas Cowboys in the playoffs when Tony Romo watched the football and all that on the snap. Um, and just from there, just just ended up watching it every year, and just the, the obsession was growing. And just like anybody else, really, you know, when you like start following a like people in England, for example, you, you start following a football team, your dad takes you, or you, you go with a mate, or you just start watching a team on the telly, or you, you, whatever it is that gets you into the game. That was exactly it for me. I just caught the bug, and I know a lot of people in England kind of mock the NFL, and laugh at the NFL, and and I understand it's not a sport for everybody. But I just kind of thought, wow, this, I just caught the bug and and got into it and, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I try and get to Seattle 
we, we get to, you know, I've got my brother involved. My dad goes and watches the games. Sometimes we, we try and fly out to Seattle once a year. I don't think we're going to do it this year because they're actually coming to Wembley anyway to play a game. So I, I just, I've, I've took a real interest in it and uh, yeah, they're kind of my team now. So um, I just, I just love watching them and, and I've loved following them for, what is it, about 12 years now. That's so much better an answer than my, uh, my answer as to why my four-year-old is a Seattle Seahawks fan. Uh, when, he was, uh, when, when he was 10 months old, he basically gave him uh, two home-sketched icons of uh, one Seattle Seahawks logo and one uh, New England Patriots logo. I think it was the Super Bowl in 2015. And he crawled <laughs> yeah. to, the, uh, to the Seahawks. So uh, I guess you've got a, a much better reason for that. Um, I'm going to bring in Evan for a second, um, who, I, you know, as our resident American on the podcast, um, Jeff doesn't count, um, I'm sure he's got some perspectives on, uh, on sort of the, uh, the sports fandom that you share by getting up at strange times of day to watch sport in a different continent. Yeah, so, so we... We wake up early on a Saturday morning to uh, to watch Wednesday. For me here on the east, sort of the east coast, it's 10 o'clock a.m. And then a weekday game is in the middle of the workday at 2.45. So I'm curious, you know, Seahawks, for me, usually start about 4 o'clock, 4.15. So over there, add five hours to that. So a 9 p.m. game, is that about right? Yeah, so the game's on a Sunday. If, if Seattle's at home, it's 9 o'clock. Um, and then if it's um, like a Sunday night football game or Monday night football, it's it's one thirty in the morning. And even during this is how sad I am during the preseason games. They actually, they actually kick off at seven o'clock at night in Seattle. So uh, the games start at three o'clock in the morning here. So I would I was getting up during the preseason um, over the last few weeks. I, I actually set my alarm to get up at three o'clock in the morning to watch a preseason game between the you know the backup guys. So um, that's how sad I am that I would get up at three o'clock in the morning to do that. So what are your overall impressions of the, of the Seahawks this year? You know, American media, uh, they all kind of say Seahawks might be one of the worst teams in NFL. Uh, what, what's your take? <laughs> yeah, what kind of answer do you want? Do you want like an honest answer or do you want me to sort of like beat my chest and say that they're all wrong and they're going to be proven right? I mean, the thing is, <laughs> is, is the, the, the thing is, is that the Seahawks have lost a lot of, of obviously big name players. You know, Richard Sherman, Michael Bennett and, and Earl Thomas is holding out and stuff like that. Um, but and, and that's, I think, what the national media have picked up on. The defence is not going to be anywhere near as good as it has been for a few years. And it could be a real weak spot for them. But the offence and and has, has really taken a step forward. Russell Wilson looks great. The offensive line looks a lot better than it has been. Um, the running game seems to be fixed. I like the receivers they've got. So I think that... The defense is going to take a step back. I think the offense is going to take a step forward. They were nine and seven last year. I think that that's probably a, a fair estimate of what they're going to be this year as well. Listen, I'll tell you this much: it's okay to root for a bad NFL team. I've been a Browns fan my whole life. Oh so no! You'll, uh, you'll oh, be okay wow. if you have a down year too, because I've had a down feels like a century. So. Well, this is just you know they're just a down team, aren't they? It's been, I mean, I mean, when's the last time they got to the playoffs? Did they get to the playoffs under Derek Anderson? Uh, man, it was it was two thousand. Uh, it wasn't terribly long ago, and Derek Anderson sounds about right. Um, we've had what eighteen, nineteen, maybe even twenty different quarterbacks in the last fifteen years or so. So um, it's it's tough to put a finger on who exactly took us to the playoffs. But I think it was Derek Anderson. Um, so shout out to or, or, you know that's good knowledge. Good knowledge. Have you have you have you, uh, have you been watching Hard Knocks then? Oh yeah, absolutely. Wow, the finale's tonight. So right after we finish recording, the podcast off, flip that on. And, and see some of my, my favorite characters get cut because those have yeah. already been announced. <laughs> so, do you get out there? Yeah, yeah we, we've had it out here, and I've, I've um, I'm, I'm like I've not seen. I think we get the final episode on Friday on on the British TV here, so I'm gonna have to wait. Uh, oh, okay. I'm, 
we know we know obviously know all of the the big storylines in terms of who's going to get cut. But I, I think it's a great show, and um, you know, especially for for a team like the Browns, it kind of generates a bit of interest in it. So kind yeah. of could, could use the help they can get at the moment. But I think I think you'll have a better season this year. Yeah, I've been a fan of the Browns, like I said, for forever, and uh, we, we cycle through players so so much that you don't really get attached to any and you don't feel like they're really your players or your team. And this year with, you know, maybe a little bit more excitement going into the season, it, this is definitely an aid to that. You know, it helps us kind of get closer to the team, see some personalities and uh, it's, it's been incredibly enjoyable. Uh, so I know, I know James has one last questions or question, excuse me about uh, James. What was it? Something about uh, what Wednesday could learn or apply from us sports. Um, I'm so glad to to bring this back to a Sheffield Wednesday theme because um, I kind of feared that we're disappearing into uh, a shared love of uh, of unsuccessful American uh, sporting teams. Um, but I guess Wednesday can uh, <laughs> can can draw a corollary from that, at least from the kind of you know getting close to greatness and then uh, and then crashing to uh, to recovery. Um, and I guess that's where the question comes, Rob, which is you know you, you've obviously you know you you follow football intensely uh, as your profession in England. Um, you follow American sports very closely as a fan. Um, do, do you think there's one thing that Sheffield Wednesday could learn from American sports that might help us on the, on the journey to uh, to finally get to our own Super Bowl? Um, I, I don't I don't think there's anything that Sheffield Wednesday specifically could learn. I think that English football could learn from um, the NFL in terms of the parity that they've created there. So, I, you know, people who don't follow the NFL, um, it's it's very hard for a team to just keep winning. So, there's no Man City or Man U or Chelsea or or whatever, you know, this it's it's quite easy for a team to go from being absolutely useless, apart from the Cleveland Browns, and then end, end up winning a Super Bowl or, or a championship. And I just love for the Premier League to sort of value competition over just being the richest, wealthiest, most expensive division in the world. Um, it, it'd be great to see. I know the, the Leicester example is probably a you know a, a real red herring, isn't it? Because that's that was a miracle, and that's probably never going to happen again. Um, but it would be amazing if if teams could do that. I don't know how. I don't know what kind of a system would create that. Um, I, I'm very jealous and envious that in America they have the college football, which is watched by a hundred thousand people at some games, and then those players become famous in their own right, and then they get drafted by the big teams, and you, you know who they are, and then they come and play in the NFL. It'd be amazing if, if our youth teams would get kind of respect and credit and attention in this country and would get opportunities then at the next level. And how often, I mean, I've just become really frustrated by the fact that I've watched England get to a semi-final of a World Cup and then I'm sort of looking forward to seeing Phil Foden play and Ryan Sessegnon and people like that and the next sort of generation that are going to come through for England. And none, none of them are even playing. You know, They're struggling to get off the bench in a game to come on for 20 minutes. So I wish there were ways that English football in general could learn from America. I, I don't think there's any way of that at all. Um, in terms of Wednesday specifically, um, I don't know. Maybe they could get. Uh, maybe they could just sort of get Pete Carroll round, Mister Positivity, and the way that he. So he turned the Seahawks from a really bad team to a really good team. Maybe you could sort of give them some advice. Maybe they could get Bill Belichick over, and he could straighten them out a little bit. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure what the the solution is there. Maybe, maybe they just need to. Maybe they just need to run into people like they do in the NFL and just knock them over. Well, we've been arguing for a couple of seasons that Wednesday needed a combative midfielder. So, uh, so maybe just get, get a run back and uh, yeah, just, just get Mar- yeah, just sign Marshawn Lynch, and it doesn't matter where that guy plays. Just, just play him anywhere. You'll just batter the, batter the other team, and, and you'll be okay. Well, I guess if if the same Bolt can play in the A League, then uh, then maybe we can bring an NFL uh, star to uh, to Hillsborough. Dave Fontana is always keen to improve the uh, half entertainment as well, so uh, maybe we can get a few T-shirt cannons and uh, and other such things oh, flinging into the crowd. This, all, you all cannot the- be a t- you can't beat a T-shirt cannon. 
you, you really cannot. Um, Rob, we could continue this all night. I'm very conscious that it is now not so much all night as early morning for you, and um, we're, we're hugely grateful for, you, for your time. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and um, we'd just like to extend an open invitation, hopefully, to continue the conversation once you're in a uh, in a new capacity within the, within the BBC. Um, we wish you all the very best for your new role, and um, and look forward to hearing uh, your views on Wednesday in South Yorkshire sport from afar as you as you make the transition. No, no, thank you for the invitation. Uh, really appreciate anybody who's listened to Football Heaven over the years or, or listened to the commentaries from, from abroad um, and in America. I really respect that and, uh, and thank you. And I would love to come on again in the future and talk Wednesday with you. So we soldier on, as Jeff would say, into our... Wednesday news section. First of all, a very happy birthday to the club itself. The 151st birthday of the club is today, uh, which is, depending on when this comes out, yesterday. But we're recording on Wednesday, September 5th, did you, which is uh, the 100th birthday. Did you get a card or anything? Um, no. No? No? No cake balls? No baked cake ball this year? Nope. Just, uh, just a beer and some bourbon to celebrate. <laughs> so. Is anyone else slightly disappointed that we didn't make an ironic gesture at sort of marketing the cake ball? You know, I, I, th- I saw someone suggesting that, like, at the uh, the All Wednesday screening last night, they should have had mini cake balls for all the people who attended. I said that. Uh, it should be, like, cake pops. You know, like, little cake pops? Yeah, like exactly. Why, why didn't we have, like, cake cake ball pops in the club shop? I oh, mean, yeah, we... I mean... we who who else in the world gives a shit about cake balls? We love them. <laughs> we should we should own this shit. We should own the embarrassment that was the cake ball. And we, just need, laugh we need it to off. have... A- a co-branding with uh, Momofuku Co Milk Bar and get cake balls on sticks. Yes, you know we we, we will have the last laugh, uh, Agent of Chaos Luke. We will uh, we will make cake balls a thing of high demand in New York City. They, that's, they that's already the are. New, uh, you know merch item. Right. If we do beach balls on the merch store, shaped like a cake ball, or not shaped like a, obviously made like a cake ball, that'd be a fucking bestseller, I reckon. What so, if we so... made a cake ball full of croissant and sold it at <laughs> Dominic Ansel Bakery? <laughs> That's a bit upper class for Wednesday, isn't it? You're like showing your uh, middle class roots there. So wait, wait, wait. You're talking about a beach ball that looks like the cake ball yes. from last year. Okay. Yes, I am, Luke. I, you, All right. That... If anyone at the club is listening, uh, hit me up on Twitter. I know a guy who can do this. Hey, we're listening. This is our idea. We're selling it. So well, yeah, but we don't. We have to get like some kind of approval. No. Well, oh, okay. yes, but. <laughs> I mean, of course we'll get approval. Happy birthday, Sheffield Wednesday. We're we're grateful for 150 years of incredible highs, lows, footballing prowess, incredible achievements, massive, massive moments of, of, you know, deep searching fandom and the fucking cake ball. (laughs) I'll tell you what, though, speaking of, of fandom in Sheffield Wednesday, it seems like the premiere of All Wednesday went incredibly well yesterday. And so congratulations to everyone involved with that. I haven't seen it yet. I don't think any of us on the podcast have seen it yet. But extremely exciting to know that that our eyeballs will be able to feast themselves on that documentary very soon. And, Patty, I think you have some news as it um, pertains to All Wednesday in the United States. Yeah, so Matt, the um, director of this um, film uh, that premiered yesterday, um, we reached out to him today um and said we would i would put on some kind of like screenings in the u.s for our fans over here so um we're in contact with him and matt's well up for it he's um 
says he's going to get in touch with us. We can do a screen at a football factory, maybe in New York, or somewhere with seats even. That'd be better. <laughs> I know Portland's got their own little miniature screening in in the the Toffee Club in Portland. So I think this could happen. I mean, it's a work in progress, but um, keep uh, your eyes peeled on the Owls America's Twitter feed and Facebook, and we'll let you know if it happens. With all due respect to the Football Factory, I've seen the quality of the screen in the Toffee Club thanks to uh, to the pictures that Mike has shared. And, and frankly, if we're going to do screenings in the US, I'm flying to Portland. That looks like a, a pretty cracking place to watch It's like a mini this. cinema, isn't it? That's, it's made for these kind of things. It, it looks almost as big at the Toffee Club as it did in the showroom last night, where um, I joked on Twitter that pretty half my, half my Twitter feed was there. But, you know, for those of us who are outside of, I was going to say outside of Sheffield, but... Um, outside the UK obviously um, we, we kind of missed something pretty special last night by all the sounds of it I mean just listening to the stories of people who did attend just how much that film meant to them you know the fan stories that it, it's woven together and, and, and it, it, the film as I understand it is all about being a Wednesday and the way that the club has impacted on the community and on fans and on people's lives where it's brought people together it's helped people in times of need um, it just sounded like it was an absolutely fantastic experience for really celebrating all the things that are very best about Sheffield Wednesday um, and it sounded like the club put on a really good night as well in terms of you know uh, celebrating it and, and presenting it in the right right context Lee Bullen was there I know that Tom Lees was there to introduce it as well Kate Tremier um, just you know all credit to Wednesday because at times we joke about things like the Kate Ball but a film like that which you know has been developed independently by someone with the ingenuity uh, of Matt but is all part of the 150th anniversary celebrations and actually you know we've got so much to be proud of as a club um, and we should celebrate it more so I can't wait to see it Something else to be proud of is a U18's victory over Crystal Palace 5-0. And I actually spent a little time earlier today watching the highlights to that match. And I'll tell you what, that U18's team looks extremely well coached and extremely technical. Uh, Their passing is phenomenal. They're just uh, uh, an incredible looking team. Have any of you watched the highlights of this match? No, it's on my list. I haven't had a chance yet. Is it is Stephen Haslam right that manages the under eighteens, James? Is that right? Well, he he stepped up actually now, so I think he's I think he's uh, overseeing the academy as a, as a whole. Right. Um, but he you know he he has involvement in all of the teams. But uh, I haven't had a chance to watch the highlights, Evan, in answer to your question. But you know, I think it's just testament that we've got another generation of of good players coming through. They are being well coached. The quality of the academy is growing, and and um, look, we're seeing the benefits of it now in the first team, right? I mean, you know, the other night, I think half the first team were under 23s. So uh, this this is a great step forward for Sheffield Wednesday when we're playing an under-18s team from a Premier League club in Crystal Palace, believe it or not. And we're walloping them 5-0. It's brilliant. Yeah, honestly, if you haven't seen it, go look at the highlights. Um, <clears throat> tweet us at Owls America is what you think, because I, I am truly curious if, if everyone else is kind of feeling the same as I am and that that team is... At least, at least in that match, was completely dominant and looked just classes above the competition. Um, can't say enough about that. So, um, quick news, quick note: uh, the the derby match with Pigs and Burrow have been moved to Fall Fridays. Uh, I think Ooh. Pigs is Friday, the 9th of November, and if I'm not mistaken, Burrow. Oh, here it is: Friday, the 19th of October. So. Uh, those have moved, and we'll obviously release meetup news as we get it. And then, 
Press can we, can, hold, hold, hold on, Evan. Uh, can we just right. uh, point out to sure. the club and Sky Sports that that is really quite a poor move for uh, for American Wednesday nights? You know, it's one thing to do that in September or in May when we've got summer Fridays. It's quite another thing to do that in October and November when we actually have to be in the office. So, uh, not not impressed, um, Sky Sports and yeah. EFL. Not impressed. Two forty five kick off in the East Coast for uh, Portland. It's eleven forty five, so they can get away with a lunchtime uh, sneak out in Portland. Uh, but most on the East Coast have got to kind of like sneak out a little bit early for the Blades game now, which of course most of us will do. Um, yeah. But it's just um, trying to find those excuses. And uh, when we had a nice Saturday kickoff, it was never going to stay that day, day, was it really, in all seriousness? So um, either way, Friday afternoon in New York, we'll be there. The one Blade fan will be there too, I'm sure of it. And we'll have a good night of it. So let's move on to our last bit of news. Preslav Borukov had quite a nice match with the Bulgarian, was it the under-21s team? I think under-19s is the captain of the under-19s now. And um, he scored a goal, got an assist, uh, and they won 3-0 against uh, Hanover, a club team. I don't know why they were playing a club team, but uh, that's what happened. And uh, yeah, so the guy is coming on leaps and bounds. I can say, I really think this guy will be in our first team within the next year. I think he'll at least be on the and made the bench by the end of the season. That's my hot take. <laughs> Excellent. I, I'm looking forward to seeing him. I I thought we might have seen him in uh, in the cup match not long ago, but uh, but yeah. I mean, nonetheless, it'll be exciting to see him up here. It seems like every time he steps on a pitch, he's the most dominant player on it. So sounds like a bright future for him. We'll move on to some quick match previews for you as we. We've already mentioned we're going into the international break, but coming back out of them, two teams that really haven't started as well as they should have. Uh, James, what can you tell me about the city of Stoke? Um, I'm not, I don't think it's worth even talking about it, Evan. I mean, you're the championship expert, so you can tell me about the team of Stoke. We, we, we did this thing last year, didn't we, where we tried to educate all American listeners about the, the various places that we were visiting or were visiting us in the championship. Um, we talked about some really horrific places like Hull and Middlesbrough and Reading. None of them, none of them are as bad as Stoke. Stoke is like the quintessential crap British town. Um, it's literally the place people go to celebrate being crap. Um, we talk about you know these great teams like Arsenal, the Invincibles, or Man City under Guardiola. Can they do it on a west, wet Tuesday night in Stoke? I mean, Stoke, Stoke is literally the epitome of a, a, just a dull and horrible place to be. And um, and now they're at our level, which is kind of gratifying in a way because they should never have been in the Premier League in the first place. Um, but they're a um, they're a reasonably well-run club with a lot of resources and they've just come down from the Premier League so they've had a slow start to the season as I'm sure you'll cover but they, um, they've got some good players and they'll probably, uh, they'll probably be, uh, be itching to kind of get their season back on track given the, the, the start that they've had Yeah, so Stoke drew their first two matches, one against Brentford, one against Preston uh, and then they lost 3-0 to Wigan uh, which is a really shocking loss they, they did have a, a red card offence in that match so uh, just a tough one for them. Then they won their first championship match, 2-0 uh, victory over Hall, and then won a cup match against Huddersfield, and then just recently lost to West Brom, 2-1. Um, Goal-wise, Eric Peters, a defender with two. Benny Kofobi, who's kind of been a, a pain in our butt, 
uh, last couple uh, years. He's he scored two for them. Otherwise, James McLean and Peter Crouch, actually one of my favorite personalities on Twitter, has scored a goal for Stokes. So not a not a hot start for them, and it's just been kind of tough going for them. Actually, you know, talking of Crouch, the most exciting thing to probably ever come out of Stoke is uh, is Peter Crouch's sense of humour. Um, I've always uh, always quite enjoyed him on Twitter, like you said, Evan. Particularly when there was a picture that somebody took, I think at a game of Leicester or someone carrying off a corner flag, and uh, it was kind of wrapped up in tarpaulin, and uh, it was basically like you know tragic news about Peter Crouch, and he uh, he retweeted and got in on the action. So good for him for that. But even better than that, he's uh, he's published an autobiography, which is just all self depreciating photographs of uh, of things like you know him and Stephen Gerrard at a film premiere, basically looking like he said uh, two 16 year olds on the way to the snooker hall. So full credit to Peter Crouch because he can uh, he can take the piss out of himself royally. He's fantastic. He was doing, he was piling on the Theresa May thing as well with her uh, doing the dance in uh, South Africa this week, saying that she, oh, stole, that was awesome. she stole his moves. <laughs> yeah, she stole his apple picking moves. Yeah, yeah. Go pick the apples on the trees from the different <laughs> sections. I loved that so much. Uh, Go that on, was wonderful. <laughs> uh, and then the lovely match against Nottingham Forest. My uh, my favorite club to talk about on here other than Sheffield Wednesday with the uh, the famous Disney movie Robin Hood, one of my favorite <laughs> childhood movies about Robin Hood prancing through Nottingham Forest. But uh, they had a good start to the season. They spent a ton of money in the offseason buying a couple uh, Portuguese players and uh, spending a ton of money. They bought Michael Dawson from Hall um, and some other guys from, from Benfica. So just a, a crazy amount of money spent. They won their first two matches. One was against Reading, and the other one, um, let's see. Actually, they won their first match. Then they drew a, a league match and won an extra time. Then they they ended up their last three cup or league matches. Excuse me. They they drew two and, and lost one. So uh, drew against Wigan and against Birmingham, and then lost to Brentford two one uh, just recently. So uh, kind of an interesting start for them. They've Gotten two goals each from Daryl Murphy, Matthew Cash, and Hillel Swadini. Um, past that, though, not not much going on for, for Forrest. So two matches that you would expect, at least at the beginning of the season, to be tough for us. Um, but you, you never know. These, these are two teams right time, trending, trending down. Yeah, exactly. They're trending downward, and, and we're trending upward. So what do you guys expect from, from those two? I think we'll beat Stoke at home. I think we're a better team at home. And I think, um, like I say, the first started pretty poorly. I think the Nottingham Forest game is going to be a lot more difficult. Um, and I think I expect them to pick up much faster than Stoke. That They've spent a lot of money. We've talked about um, a few times around the, and then the Profit and Sustainability podcast too, this cyclical nature now of the EFL and who has money to spend and who's riding the wave and who's kind of crashing on the waves. Like Forest have basically been is it under embargo or just not been able to spend any money for the past like two years pretty much so they've been middling in the, the, the bottom of the championship just biding their time and now that three year cycle's kind of come round and they've got money to spend again so they're blowing it all again in the first year and if they don't go up in the next year or two then again in three years time you'll see them middling around in the bottom of the championship not spending money again so it's that it's that, I thought what, this new EFL rules uh, kind of really spawns this kind of nature in that, and Leeds doing something similar now too so it's their time. If they can make it work, good for them. Um, but uh, as we've seen, it's not instant success by spending lots of money. 
And now we'll move into our last bit of news. And Patty, I'll let you take this section. We have our first Boston Owls meetup, or had our first Boston Owls meetup, and we welcome a new member to Owls Americas. Yeah, so a couple of bits and pieces from us. Um, so as we said on the last podcast, uh, Justin um, arranged the first Boston Owls meetup, which was fantastic. Um, it was a pretty low turnout, unfortunately. But as we've said, this should inspire people. It doesn't need uh, New York Owls size. Uh, 20 people meet up every week uh, him and his mate met up, they watched the match together had a good time, Wednesday won and what more could you ask for, you're in a bar at 10 in the morning drinking beer, I mean could it get any better than that, I don't think so so he's going to set up some more um, in the future uh, follow um, Justin uh, through uh, Owls Americas on Facebook and on Twitter uh, and stay tuned for more from Boston Owls, there'll be a lot more I assume the Second bit of news is that we've got a new member uh, on Owls Americas, and it's uh, Richard South. And it's just uh, I chat with him this, this afternoon. Uh, he's going to help us out on Facebook and Instagram, do a bit of social media stuff for us too, so you'll see a lot more activity from us on those places. If there's anything you think we should be doing and you want to see more of us from Owls Americas, always tweet at us or always send us a message on Facebook, and we'll, um, we'll try and help you out. We can try and find bars for you in cities. We're trying to work on a number of different things at the moment, so... Um, hearing from our people in America or even people in the UK about what you want as a kind of service from us will help us shape us for the future too so um, we're working on bars in Vegas we're working on bars in Orlando as we spent the last time around uh, LA we're looking at bars to try and point tourists to and people on holiday so even though we haven't got um, an active group there we want to be able to point people to uh, places they can watch Wednesday games when they're on holiday so get in touch with us through uh, Twitter Owls Americas Facebook Owls Americas uh, on email, owlsamericas at gmail.com or just tweet any of us as you'll see at the end of the uh, closeout, which Evan will have rehearsed I'm assuming from last week, which ended catastrophically It wasn't that bad <laughs> There you go, I set you up Anyway, thank you Patty and that will do it for Owls Americast episode 37, our podcast intro and bumpers are by fellow Wednesdayites, Reverend and the Makers, our podcast is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right wherever you choose to consume Owls Americast. Sheffield Wednesday opinion with an American accent. We ask that you rate and review the show as it helps more Wednesdayites find our ramblings. Speaking of ramblings, you can leave the show a voicemail on our Dazed and Mumbled line at one four zero one three zero seven one eight six seven. International rates do apply, but you can dial it for free using Google Voice. James is on Twitter, at Manhattan Owl. James, what are you doing over the international break? Uh, I'm obviously going to be carefully and diligently watching the Nations Cup of Cup of Nations, the UEFA (laughs) Nations Champions (laughs) Super League, that is uh, is actually one of the most mind-boggling competitions ever known to woman or man or or beast. So, um, no, I won't be doing it. Any of, any of that i'm gonna go and watch an nfl game i'm gonna go and uh, try and learn about the native football uh, of uh, of my adopted country so um i will uh, probably be thoroughly confused and looking forward to the stoke game in a week's time which uh, which game are you going to see i'm going to see giants and jaguars on uh, on sunday up at uh, meadowlands out, out near secaucus new jersey actually yeah, i can wave at my house from there luke is on twitter at superb owl or super bulls Luke, what are you doing over the international holiday? 
Uh, I will probably be continuing to get um, things for our uh, nursery as we clean out our our back or our middle room library and turn it into a much more uh, hospitable place for a for a youngling. Luke's becoming a daddy. Um, Luke's becoming a daddy. Congratulations! Yes. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, yeah, other than that, I'm, I'm not really sure. Nothing football-related, I don't think. Patty is on Twitter, at Patty A. Jones, for talk about music acts that wear skinny jeans, and at New York Alice for Wednesday grousing. Patty, what are you doing this weekend? Uh, my sister's coming over with my seven-month nephew from Sheffield, so we're going to be hanging out with babies and uh, just chilling out for ten days. So it's come at a good time. I don't have to... Uh, balance Wednesday and family. I can just enjoy my family for once. Very nice. I am on Twitter at Ohio Owl, and I will be traveling to Florida visiting Orlando, Palm Bay, and Gainesville this weekend for college football and NFL football. And we will see you back here next week. <laughs>